Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Amen. If you turn to your Bibles, we're going to get started uh, this afternoon, Acts chapter 3. We've been in a series with our church. Uh, Pastor Chris has led us in this incredible series, uh, talking through some of the points of Scripture in the text in the book of Acts, talking about the stuff that the Spirit does. I hope that you've been encouraged by it. I know that, that I have. I know that I've been even more mindful of what it is that God's doing, not just uh, around me, but also what God is doing in me and through me to, to be a blessing to others. I hope that uh, you are getting much out of it as well. And I was reading Acts chapter, Acts chapter 3, as we'll pick up today. It says, now Peter and John, they went together to the temple, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those who enter the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So they gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging at the alms at the gate beautiful of the temple. And they were filled, look at this, with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now, you got to understand there is backstory to Acts chapter 3. If you read just Peter here in Acts chapter 3, you're not getting the full story. And how many know we need the full story? The other day, my son came home. He goes, Dad, I just happened to be, we did a tour of your junior high. He goes, and I saw your name on the wall still. I mean, that was like years ago. I go, what'd you see, son? Let me hear it. You know, we love to hear about ourselves. He's like, Dad, your name was there, Shane Grove, 95 pounds, first in the city. I go, yes, son. Pastor Chris was the fastest in the city, but I was the toughest kid in sixth grade in the entire city. But then I, I, had, I, had, to do him a, I had to do him a favor. I thought that was a disservice because he's about ready to go into seventh grade. And he saw my name on the wall, and yes, I did. Uh, I wrestled probably every person that was in the 95-pound weight class, and I beat them all, and I won. But that's not the full story. The full story is I was scared to death to go to school on my first day of seventh grade. I ended being the, the city champion, but my first day of school, I was terrified. Why was I terrified? Because I came fifth and sixth grade from a little private school, and everyone was nice to each other. And then I hear rumors about this junior high that I'm going to, and the rumors, they happen to be true. Uh, my nightmares came to a reality. Even, and I'll explain. I remember getting on the bus, bus 95. Gordon was my bus driver. And I remember getting on bus 95, first time on a school bus. Now, my parents didn't shelter me that much, but they for that time, they just, I was close enough to school. They dropped me off of the school. This time, I had to get on the, the, the Mayflower bus all by myself. My sisters were there, but they were no support whatsoever. Uh, it was just me in seventh grade. And like I said, I was 95 pounds in seventh grade. So there wasn't much to me. I get on the bus. And I'm like, where do I sit? I sit down. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I've heard stories about what happens on the bus. And I am not exaggerating. Not longer did I have that thought. And then this blue flame of fire comes up the aisle way. Why? Because Jordan stepped on 
the brakes, and a guy in the back emptied a bottle of hairspray. They empty it. They wait for the bus driver to hit the brakes. It comes down the rivets, and he lights it with his lighter on fire, and it's just, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to die today. I look back, and I won't name his name in case he's still around and is here in this podcast, but I also look out, and this guy had poured it now on his hand, lights his hand on fire, and he does this out the window. Gordon has not a clue what is happening. I feel like I'm not going to even make it to seventh grade. I get to seventh grade, first day of school, go into my locker, and you know the lockers. It's all summer long. I'm like, seven, you know, right, left, right, seven, 11. Oh my gosh, it has to be, why is it 31 or whatever it is, 28, all the way over. You know, it wasn't working the first time. You're pressed for the bell. I'm not making this up. I get slammed from behind from a kid. Throws me into, not literally into the locker, but in the locker. And he wants to fight me right then and there. And I'm thinking everything. My mom thought I was silly. My dad thought I was silly. Oh, it's just the little fears of a seventh grader. No, my reality was this. That, or my nightmare was this reality. This is exactly what was going to happen. Sure enough, I don't know. I feel like this kid was about ready just to beat me up on the first day of seventh grade. And then out of nowhere, I hear, hey, don't touch him. And I'm like, don't touch touch him or don't touch me. And the guy who wanted to fight me, he scurried off. And this, I'm 95 pounds, this massive ninth grader comes up to me. He's like, are you Shane Grove? I'm like, yeah. He goes, my name's Ken McNally. I'm like, okay. He goes, I'm related to you on your dad's side. I'm like a distant cousin. I go, okay. He goes, just so you know, no one's going to mess with you here at this school. I go, really? I'm not making this up. That guy showed up to every match that I had. He showed up to every, I played football's way, showed up to every game that I had. I walked down the hallway, not as just some scared. It's funny, that locker that day after was so easy. I don't remember the numbers. It's just like spinning, spinning. It unlocked, opened it, ran off. I walked down the ninth grade hallway. Why? Because Ken McNally was there. Ken McNally has a, he didn't even know it to this day. He has so much to do with me winning the city championship when I was 95 pounds. Why? Because when I was scared to death, age seven or at seventh grade, feeling like I have to take this school on all by myself, I realized that I didn't. See, this is kind of the backstory, and I'm going to share in these next few moments. Peter. Peter just didn't come with boldness and confidence, and he didn't just come with just expectancy on that certain day at that specific hour to the temple of prayer and just happen outside the temple to participate in a, in a miracle. There's a backstory to it. The backstory was this, that he's, his brother, and I'll, I got a lot of details, so I'm trying to wrap it up. His brother heard of Jesus through John the Baptist. And Andrew's first person he went to was Simon, his brother. He says, you've got to see who I've, just, who I've just found out. It's John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. I even went up to him, had a quick conversation. He says, yeah, come and see. Basically, it was an invitation that I could come and see what his story and this kingdom activity was all about. Really, what he's saying to his, the disciple here is, you want to see what real power is? You want to see what real kingdom authority? You want to see what living is all about? Come and follow me. So what does he do? He goes and gets his brother Simon. And in John chapter 1, verses 40 and following, we see that Simon is introduced to Jesus. And Jesus says this. He says, you're called, or you are, I love this, 
Simon, but you will be Cephas, or you will be Peter. I've never met someone for the first time that they've changed my name, and it'd be a little awkward. You are Shane, but one day you will be called John. Like, no, 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 my name's, my name's Shane. It's, it's, it's who I am. You got to think about, like, what was Peter's encounter with Jesus at this moment? Like, okay, I, I, I know I'm Simon. That's what I'm named. But this guy's saying that I'm not going to be Simon much longer, that I eventually one day will be, will be Peter. And this is where we see what Jesus is doing here. He's not just predicting a name change. He's also predicting a heart change. Transformation is about ready to take place. Where Simon met Reed, we see that he's saying, your name will one day, who you are and what you'll be known for will be rock. I'm going to transform you. It's going to take a minute. We then see in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus just happens. I love how Jesus just happens to be at certain places at certain times doing certain things. He's never late. There's never an accident. He's, he, he divinely sets these things up, which, which are amazing. You actually had some of these this week. You just weren't aware of it. Some of you might have been aware of it, but Jesus, he goes to this lake where these, these guys are fishing, and we see there's two boats that have no fishermen in it. It says in Luke chapter 5 that the fishermen were mending their nets. Jesus gets into the boat. Why does he get into the boat? Well, because the crowds that followed him as he was communicating what the kingdom of God is all about were pressing him so much that he was running out of real estate, so he steps onto a boat. It just happens to be Simon's boat, and he asks Simon to push out a little bit. As he pushes out a little bit, what does Jesus do? He talks to the entire multitude, the crowd that's there, about who he is and about the word of God and what the kingdom of God means. Peter is literally a captive audience. He's there in the boat. Just picture this. He can't go anywhere. It's his boat. He's not going to leave it to, to Jesus. He's listening to everything that Jesus is saying. Then Jesus does something remarkable. He takes his attention off the crowd and turns it right to Simon Peter. And he says, push out into the deep and let down your nets. And Peter says, okay, but just so you know, we've, we've already done that all day long. Uh, and we've caught nothing all night long and all morning. We've caught nothing. But he goes, nevertheless, at your word, we're going to do it. So he pushes out to the deep. Think about it, The crowd's still there. He just got done talking about kingdom, authority, and power, and who he is, and what the story is all about. We then see nets begin to get filled with fish. The boat begins to sink. The nets begin to break. And this is what I love, and I can't wait, and Pastor Chris is going to lead this in our series here in the coming months when we talk about the church. See, when you realize the mission of God for your life, you realize that it's greater than what you can possess and maintain and carry all by yourself. So why is it exciting that we gather today? Well, because it's a picture of Luke chapter 5. See, Simon Peter, he couldn't haul in the load by himself. He couldn't bring in the miracle catch by himself. Why? Because it was going to sink him if he did. He says he had a signal for help. He had to call his partners in to come out with extra boats and do something miraculous. The crowd sees it. They begin to hear the message, and now they see that God is associated through Jesus, obviously, is associated with these miracles that go beyond what we can fathom and produce by ourselves. I love how Jesus did it when the disciples have already exhausted their resources, their energy. They're the professions in this field. Jesus is the teacher, but the teacher comes along and says, hey, just check this out. When you're with me and you do what I ask you to do, miracles take place. See, what I've discovered is the, the, the Peter that we see in Acts chapter 3, it took him a process. Uh, it took him some development and some training to get 
there when he was actually a person full of fear. Uh, he, was a, he, he was a person that lacked a lot of, uh, he, he needed more faith. There was, there, was, there was a lot of lack in his life. But you find that any time that Peter got around in close proximity to Jesus, that he was full of faith. He did extraordinary things. When Peter was near Jesus, he acted in a certain way that makes kind of, when we read through it, our jaws drop a little bit. And we think, how in the world did he have such boldness and faith to do what he's doing? But then you find the opposite. Anytime he felt uh, even threatened in his distance, in his proximity to Jesus, he did things like, what, Peter, what are you thinking? So when he was near Jesus, he was full of faith. When he was away from Jesus, he felt like, man, uh, the world's crashing in on me. See, when I was in the halls, I know it's a silly analogy. I just want you to think about it. When I was in the halls and Ken McNally was there, I was strong and confident. When I got on bus 95 and went home, I just found my little safe space in the safest seat that I could find. Why? Because McNally wasn't on the bus. See, when Peter was near Jesus, look what he did. In verse 11 of chapter 5, it says that... Uh, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Come follow me. I'll show you how to make fishes of men. It says that at that moment, immediately Peter left everything. When Peter was near Jesus, he acted immediately. What he did was he said, I'm going to leave what's secure. I'm going to leave what is profitable. I'm going to leave my vocation that I've always known to follow you who I've just met into the unknown, and I'm not quite sure where it's going to take me. See, when he was around Jesus, he was confident to take those steps of faith that he didn't have all the details. He didn't have the, the, the final answer to. Not only that, he studied under Jesus and with Jesus for three years. So he became a student of the text. He became a student of the ways of Jesus. And then he became a spokesperson for the group of, of, of disciples. He was the one who's always speaking up for the disciples. As they're kind of talking behind Jesus in conversation, he's the one who would ask Jesus the bold questions. Uh, sometimes a question like, why are you even asking Jesus that? It's obvious. Uh, but I think we'd be more often like Peter than, than we realize. Not only that, think about it. Peter, when he was near Jesus, he did crazy things like stepping out of a boat, a perfectly sound boat on a stormy sea. He steps out. The other disciples, does, there's no indication that they did this. It's Peter who steps out of the boat and what? He stands on the sea with Jesus. If you've been here for a while, Pastor Chris has led us brilliantly in what it means to uh, stand on the sea or what the sea in the New Testament represents. The sea represents dark forces. It represents evil. And what we see is not just Jesus showing off to disciples what he can do. He's showing them it's a story within a story. Not only naturally can I stand on the water, but what I'm saying by standing on the water is something even greater than the natural. What I'm saying is supernaturally, I don't stand under demonic forces and principalities and oppression and evil and darkness. I actually stand on top. I lord over it. And when I was reading this, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, when Peter was near Jesus, it wasn't just Jesus standing on the water. Who was with him? Peter was with him. So what is he saying? He's saying, when you're near me, Peter, not only do I stand as champion over demonic activity and evil, because you're with me, you also stand as a champion over demonic forces and evil. You don't 
fall beneath it. You're not prey to it. You're a champion over it. And it's when Peter got his eyes, once again, off Jesus, that's when he begins to sink. And that's really where we put our focus. But just for a moment, think about it. when he was near Jesus, he was standing on the water next to Jesus in a storm. What Jesus is saying is when you're next to me, you, you, you're at your best. When you're next to me, I pull out of you and I add it to me strength and confidence. I give you a right mind. I give you a champion mindset. But when you get away from me, that's when things kind of go awry. Not only that, we see in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter, the spokesman, says, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Jeremiah. Some say Elijah. And Jesus says, but oh, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter says that you're the, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, blessed are you, son Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, your father, who's in heaven. Meaning you didn't get this from uh, the, the rumor mill of the day. You didn't get this from what culture is saying. You didn't get this from hearsay. The only way you could have figured this out is that your mind and your heart and your spiritual ears were open up to the very voice of God. He revealed this to you. Great job. See, any time Peter was near Jesus, it's amazing the level of faith that he went to. But then there's the opposite that happens. And the opposite is this, that any time that relationship, that proximity was threatened, Peter did the opposite of faith. He became fearful and erotic and did just silly things. For example, in that same chapter, chapter 16 of Matthew, the same time in the same conversation in the same duration of him being praised not long after that he was he was corrected by Jesus even so Jesus says uh, get behind me Satan and he's not saying that you're the Satan incarnate he's saying you're acting out of your mind you're acting from a different source uh, it's, it's because what happened is as Jesus is explaining to the disciples Peter just gets this revelation that he's the Christ and as he's explained to, the, explained to the disciples, he's saying, now I'm on my way to, I've always been on my way to Jerusalem. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem uh, there is, there's the cross. There's, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised to life again on the third day. What does Peter do? Peter takes Jesus, the rabbi, his rabbi, and he begins to shake him and rebuke him. It means to shake harshly. What's he doing? He's not acting in faith. He's acting in fear. Why is he acting in fear? Well, because as this story is being told to him, and as he's getting more and more information, what's happening is his proximity is being threatened, meaning his distance to Jesus, meaning, no, 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 you, they can't take you, because if they take you, they take my confidence, they take my faith, uh, they take a part of me, they can't take you, and he rebukes them. And then we see that in the, the garden, uh, when the, the soldiers come to get Jesus, who's there? Peter's there. And we see that Peter not only rebukes Jesus, but there's a moment of violence. He takes out a sword, uh, and he cuts off a servant's ear that was with the high priest. Why? Because once again, the proximity is being threatened. They're taking away Jesus. And if you take away Jesus, then you take away my faith. You take away my confidence. You, you take away uh, everything that I'm supposed to be. But it, then it wasn't just stayed there uh, with when it comes to the violence, there's both violence, uh, there was uh, the, also the part in Scripture uh, where he actually denies Jesus three times. Jesus predicts it. 
says, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, I'm not going to deny you three times. That might be some of the other disciples, but God, I'm not going to deny you three times. We, we've been through a long story. With these last three years, they've been amazing. I'm with you. And isn't it amazing, just the contrast here, that Peter is the one, when he's near Jesus, he has these great acts of faith that he's able to step out of a perfectly good boat onto a stormy uh, body of water. He's not only able to do that, he's able to have the faith to leave everything that's safe and secure to him and follow Jesus into the unknown. But when it comes on that night, those things would be scary for most of us, right? But at that night, he says essentially that he was more terrified of the 12 year old girl who, or the little girl that pointed him out and says, you're actually in the company with, with Jesus. I've seen you with Jesus. He denies knowing Jesus because he's threatened by a 12-year-old girl. But prior to that, he was okay stepping out of a boat into a storm. And prior to that, he was okay leaving family business to follow Jesus. But at this moment, he's scared of a little girl who just recognizes him to be part of Jesus' team, of his students. What's the difference? Well, at that moment... Those incredible feats of faith were always centered around Jesus. At this moment, in Peter's perspective, he was by himself. And as I was thinking through this, I just wonder how many times, how many of us process life the same way? To where today, come on, it's easy. It's easy today in church because we're all together to be stirred with faith and to believe God for the best. But what does the rest of the week look like? Have you ever been in that moment to where you feel, yeah, I feel the presence of God. Uh, we've had a great worship set. Uh, I just felt like God was speaking to me. And then Monday hits, you're like, uh, why do I feel alone? Why am I by myself? This is exactly what was taking place in the life of Peter. But I tell you what, something, something changed. Not only did he rebuked Jesus when he felt threatened. Not only did he act violently when he felt threatened in his proximity in relationship to Jesus, he also denies Jesus when he feels like he's all by himself. But then it doesn't end there. It ends in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, where do we find Peter? We find Peter reverted back to his old vocation. He's fishing again. And some say, well, it could have been hobby fishing. I don't think so. I think he didn't know what else to do. I think he was terrified of the unknown. I think he actually thought that he could be without Jesus for the rest of his life. So he goes back to what's comfortable. See, when you're, are you tracking me? When you're with Jesus and near Jesus, man, miracles and incredible feats of faith take place. When you withdraw and you feel as though this, and this is kind of my main thought, we, we think God is the great observer, but we don't realize he's just not watching us. He's actually with us every single moment of our lives. See, that's what the change was for Peter. It's when he realized, oh, God's just not watching me. He's actually with me all the time. We see this. Why? Because when he's having his low moment, when he's having one of his episodes on the boat fishing again, who shows up post-resurrection on the seashore? It's Jesus. And what is Jesus doing in verse 12? He's making breakfast. He has a charcoal fire going, and he's making breakfast. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Why? Because it has everything to do uh, and more to do with the seasoning and eating. It has everything to do with uh, how God operates after the cross. He shows up to Peter at his place of 
kind of departure. He shows up to, at, to Peter when Peter felt like he's messed it all up. And what does he say? He says, come, you're going to eat with me. You see that the motif of breaking bread, eating with Jesus was a theme for the disciples. Not only that, when they're out fishing, they recognize, John recognizes Jesus on the seashore right there on the coast. Uh, and he mentions it to Peter. Peter is so moved that he doesn't even wait for the boat to come in. He jumps in the water and swims ashore. What does it have to do with anything? Well, I think it shows you uh, how gracious and how patient Jesus is. I'm just going to give you a few points as, as we get ready just to kind of bring this all together. This is the gift to us. This is what Jesus does for us, and we see how he's done it in the life of Peter. Jesus is patient with you and I. Why is that important? Well, it's important because if you are a Christian today, there's certain things that you've been waiting on. There's certain promises that you've been, been waiting on. And if Jesus sets the example of him being patient, then I think it can encourage you to be patient in the story and season of life that you're in. But not only that, some of you, you know yourself real well. And there's been things that you've succeeded in, and there's been things that you've experienced loss in based on a right decision and wrong decision, just like Peter. Some of us, it takes a lot longer to kind of learn the lessons uh, as, we're, as God is developing us. And I just want to encourage you that God is patient. The psalmist says in Psalms chapter 32, says that he gives instruction and teaches us in the way that we should go. It doesn't mean we always go in that way. But I'm grateful God just doesn't give us one shot. Give us one chance. Some of you here today, and you're not Christians, and you're just, I, I call you, you're curious. You're in that, you're in that category. Uh, and I want to encourage you as well, uh, that no matter where you've been and no matter what your life is to this point, guess what? Jesus is patient. Uh, he's patiently awaiting uh, the opportunity for you just to look up, fix your eyes, set your eyes on him, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to open your ears so you can hear something that goes beyond just the natural. He's, he's patient, and he has a direction and process for your life as well. Not only is Jesus patient, but we see that Jesus sees our future self, point two. This is what Jesus does for us. He just doesn't see our past and present. He also sees our future self. He says, you are Simon, but one day you will be called Peter. You are weak. Uh, you are insecure, but one day you're going to be called rock. And once you catch this revelation, it's going to go with you to your martyrdom to your very end. Why? Because in John chapter 21, he says, Peter, people are going to take you uh, where you don't choose to go, and you're going to be stretched, uh, and he's predicting his, his persecution. But if anything to scare you, it should be the prediction that Jesus spoke over Peter in the 21st, 20, 20, 21st chapter of John, but it didn't scare him. Why? Because he's finally realizing, oh, no matter where I'm, where I'm at, God's always with me. We see that he sees our future self. Now that number three, he dismisses and he drives away fear. He dismantles fear. First John 14 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives away fear. Why is this so important? Well, because this is exactly what happened to Peter. Peter knew and met and fully now understood who the person of Jesus is. And the person of Jesus is perfect love. Anytime you're in the presence of perfect love, there's no room for fear. So anytime he was in the presence of Jesus, he didn't give in to that spirit of fear that tried to assault his mind, assault his thinking. Anytime he tried to separate himself from Jesus, that's when fear would enter. But perfect love comes in the person of Jesus, and this is who Peter encountered and experienced. Not only that, we see that Jesus remains faithful. Paul even says, even though we're not faithful, Jesus remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. 
And then number five, we see what Jesus does for us. Jesus uses those who say yes. I love this. What was labeled of Peter is that Peter is ordinary and uneducated, but the people around that observed his life realized and they noticed that he has been, something's happened to where he's been in the presence of Jesus. Meaning it's not because of who he is and what he's achieved by himself, but they know he's been close to Jesus and they recognize the power and the authority. And then you get to Acts chapter three. And you realize after this process, after uh, Jesus is patiently teaching Peter, uh, after Peter has the episodes of faith and fear, faith and fear, uh, belief and unbelief, belief and unbelief, uh, we see that he finally gets to this point where he realizes that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that the very Spirit of God always and forever will remain with us, as it was with Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, where he says, certainly, Moses, I'll be with you. He is present in the life of Peter, and what's true in the New Testament is true in the life of the church today. So you never for a moment have to feel like you're by yourself. Why is it so important? Well, it's a difference between operating in faith and the difference between operating in fear. When you feel as though God is just this quiet observer or a person who just watches from the stands and you fail to realize that, no, he's actually involved. This is what Acts is all about. He's actually involved. The spirit stuff of God is actually involved in every detail of our life. It changes everything. See, Peter, it's crazy. When you read Acts 3, look what he says. He says, and fixing his eyes on him. I love this. This is what Peter does. I know this because uh, I can see this with my kids because my daughter will sometimes want me to have her attention and vice versa. The reason why she asked for my attention is because for years I've asked for her attention. Look at Peter. He's saying, fixing his eyes on him, what does he ask the, the guy to do? He says, look at us. Who, who's, he, who's he parroting? He's parroting. He's echoing Jesus. I guarantee he heard this over and over and over again in his own life. Jesus says, Peter, right here, don't be afraid. Look at me. You get your eyes off me, you're going to sink. But if you look at me, Peter finally gets it. And he's saying to the guy who's been crippled his whole life, and this is his only way of living and knowing how to survive, he says, Look at us. Guess what? We don't have anything. Peter, I mean, this is a monumental moment for his life. We don't have anything of ourselves, but what we do have. And I love it. Jesus is not there in the flesh. Think how big of a moment this is for Peter. He's not there in the flesh. He's like, but what I do have, it didn't have to be in the flesh. It's the very fact that he promised the paraclete, the spirit of God, is going to abide and live, not just in the surrounding area or a particular church or temple, but the very spirit of God lives within my life. Peter's saying, my life is the home where the Holy Spirit abides. So that's why, with bold confidence, you can look at me in the eyes and say, I don't have anything naturally, but what I do have in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. He grabs him. Come on. This is the... This is what we read when he was around Jesus all the time, this type of faith. He grabs and says, get up and walk, and the man is completely restored and healed. Now, when I think about Acts, and when I think about the role of the Spirit of God, I think if we're not careful, we miss the opportunities 
like that. We expect God to do something in the confines, and I love the church. I love it when the common denominator is Jesus, and we all get together, and we worship him. But how many of us possibly missed a miracle on the way to church? I'm not just saying the last 90 minutes or hour that you got ready to be here. But how many of us missed an opportunity Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and, and so forth, thinking the only way that anything miraculous happens is when we're gathered together as the church, and you couldn't be further from the truth. See, the Holy Spirit talks to us on a regular basis. And I love uh, what Peter does. Peter does this. Uh, he shows that he wants to be in a relationship with Jesus. He has a lot of things going against them. I'm almost done here. The worship didn't come up. But he... He shows that he really wants to intentionally have a relationship with Jesus. How do I know this? You just read the New Testament. Anywhere Jesus went to pray by himself, guess who was like in the woods and kind of wandering and just happened to find Jesus? Where'd you go? Once again, he, he's a little insecure when Jesus isn't around, and he goes to find Jesus, and Jesus is like, I was in a prayer meeting. Sometimes it's good to have some one-on-one -on -one time with the Father. I'm praying. Peter's always wanted to be near and next to Jesus, And he thought it's something that you'd have to do in Jesus' physical body. But then he finally gets it. He understands. No, it's, it's greater than that. It's just not the limitation of Jesus in the flesh. But now I have direct access to the very spirit of God every moment of the day. We see that he learns uh, to familiarize himself with God's word. Not only that, he learns the voice. Matthew 16, he learned the voice of what God sounded like and who he was. Uh, I think also, this is kind of a couple notes even that Pastor Chris mentioned the last couple of weeks. We have to practice noticing the ways that God speaks to us. See, because if we just feel like God's going to speak to us on a Sunday, we miss a lot of amazing opportunities. For some reason, I'm going to be quick with this, two stories. You ready? I had an opportunity. I went to a grocery store the other day, and I felt like, oh, I'm not just buying a can of soup for my daughter. That's weird. That was on the list. I'm like, just a can of soup? I'm obviously here for a reason. So... I, I get to the cash register, and I feel like the Holy Spirit says, pay for the person behind you. And so guess what I didn't do? I didn't pay for the person behind me. I went out in my car, and I'm thinking, this is why, Lord, I didn't pay for the person behind me, because uh, they would have thought this, this, and this, and the blessing would have turned into an offense to them. Uh, and I'm thinking, that's what I thought. My mind got in the way of Holy Spirit, what you were saying, and I missed out. And I apologized in that parking lot. And then, I'm not kidding, a week goes by, I'm at another grocery store. And I'm like, come on, Kirsten, don't you buy any groceries? Why am I all the ones buying groceries at grocery stores? She does. I'm at another grocery store. And I walk up to the cash register, and I feel the Holy Spirit says, buy this person's, buy their, buy their food. I'm like, Lord, I'm not going to, okay. Maybe, well, they're in a wheelchair and they have no legs. Um, they're as happy as anyone in that store, tell you what. I'm like, okay, uh, I think I'll buy the food, but what if they take offense to it just because they have no legs in a wheelchair? They just think that because that, I just assume that they have no money, this and that. So my mind rapidly gone again. It gets to the point where the lady puts a debit card in the machine. It doesn't work, not because she didn't have any money, because the cashier says, oh, you put it in the machine too quick. <laughs> they laughed. They're having a good time. They're like, maybe this guy wants to buy your food too. I'm like, I'm like yeah, I'll buy, I'll buy hers too. And like, <laughs> that's so cute. Uh, and they just rang it up separately by myself, and I didn't press it. And I went into the parking lot, and I'm like, oh, God, I did it again. What in the world? And I'm not kidding. I sat in that parking lot kind of, have you ever had those moments? Banging my head on the steering wheel like, God, I'm getting it. I, I, I didn't get it yet, but don't give up on me. 
I'm going to get it. God, I'm going to get it. And it was Mother's Day. And we're at a third. All these three grocery stores are three different grocery stores. We go to another grocery store on Mother's Day. And we're at the cash register. And there's a lady and a, 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 her daughter next to us, behind us. Uh, and I just was aware. And I just wasn't aware because the devil made me aware. <laughs> I want you to catch this. I wasn't aware because just in my good nature, I made myself aware. I was aware because the Holy Spirit made me aware. Some of you are like wanting like the pastor to give you the, the clearest prophetic word you've ever had in your life. And, and, and God's saying, I've already like given you some clear words that you can go on and it'll change your life. So long story short, this time I didn't give any room for my brain to think because her debit card wasn't working. And so I said, oh, God. it was like slow motion, like grabbing for my debit card that my wife had. I'm like, I got it. And then put it in the, the machine and paid for hers. And it's only $7.40. So this isn't a story to tell you how incredibly generous I am. It's all about, it's, it's in the little things. And then I'm driving down the road the other day. You're going to love this. Driving down the road the other day. And I see an older man walking on the side of the road. He's walking on the side of the road. Uh, he's kind of hurrying along. It's getting dark, and I can tell he's really overworking, and he's pretty old. And um, I also remember, like, maybe, I don't know, 300 yards prior to that, passing a guy on a bike who looked a little sketchy. I'm thinking, oh, I don't want that guy messing with the old guy. I'm going to turn around. So I turn around and uh, go back, and the guy on the bike's not even there. My son's with me. And I'm like, hey, should we pick this guy up? Thinking that he's going to say no. He's like, yeah. Before you know it, he says yes, jumps in the back. He goes, Dad, are you going to pray for him too? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like picking him up is spiritual, son. We don't have to just pray for the guy. That's a little bold. I'm, I'm just working through this grocery store story, you know. Slow learner here. Gets in, I, I said, oh, he's probably going to like not even come on. This is how we think. I'm like, he's probably not even going to want a ride. I'm going to offend him again because he's old and he can't walk. I can walk. So uh, the window goes down, not like this. I was about ready to do a crank, but I don't have that. The window goes down. I say, would you like a ride? He's like, whoo, you bet. Gets in the car, goes, man, tired. And he's getting his seatbelt on. He's like, what do you do? I'm like, what do I do? I go, I'm a pastor at a Christian church in the area. He's like, well, no kidding. And so I take him home. He goes, hey, maybe you can give me your phone number so that I can get a hold of you so that you can give me a ride to your church. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But this isn't really anything that, this isn't supernatural on my part. I'm just saying that I think we gotta be very, very careful I've been learning this as I go, so I'm not, that's why I want to share. I'm not speaking something. I'm not in the process of learning more and more each day. I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us all the time. I think if we're not careful, we look for the spectacular and think that's the only place the Holy Spirit lands and goes. And he's saying, no, I, I do it every single moment of every single day. That's why the Holy Spirit has to come because I can't do it in the, the way that the church, which is my idea, God's idea, can do it here in the New Testament. See, as I go and I'm next to the Father in heaven in intercession for you, this is what he's explained to Peter. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete's gonna come and is gonna take home and place and resident in your life. And you're gonna be able to hear and know what the voice of God sounds like. And you're gonna be the hands and the feet, the extension of his mercy and his grace to people around you. I wanna leave you with this. And we're, gonna, we're gonna respond in a time of worship. I'm sitting down, not because I'm tired. Pastor Mark, I might need you up here. 
How many, how many have been tying their shoes for a long time? Right? Okay. How many have been tying their shoes for a long time, right? This is awesome. You're like, how is shoe tying spiritual? It's part of it. Just wait. Check this out. I've been tying my shoes for 30 plus years. And like five years ago, there's a guy that came through and changed my world. You ready? See, I've been tying my shoes where you cross, you loop, you go around the thumb, and then you pull the loops tight, right? The problem with that, it's, in an, it's at a, an angle that's not 90 degrees. Uh, guess what? It comes untied by noon. So then what do you do? You're like, well, okay, if one knot's not good enough, you got a double knot or triple knot. I tried to teach this to my son. He didn't listen for a while. And finally he listened. I'm like, you can double knot it all you want. It's gonna come untied. And this gentleman says, you don't have to do a lot. You just have to make a few changes. It's still the cross, it's still the loop, but instead of going around the thumb on the front side, you go around the thumb, ready? On the back side, you pull it through, Look at that, and that stays at a 90 degree. I mean, or it's perpendicular, it's straight across. Guess what? I'll put money on it. It won't come untied all day long until I choose to untie it. Like, what, what does it have to do with anything? This is, this is what it has to do with. So many times we're used to following Jesus a certain way, and we wonder, man, why isn't it working? What is so wrong with my life that I just can't get this together? And I think sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, it's just subtle adjustments that will change your entire day. What's one of those adjustments? It's not depending on church every Sunday to get your encouragements and to get insights. It's to do that. Church should be a place where we party and we celebrate better than anyone in town. What we should do is we should allow the Holy Spirit to make those subtle adjustments Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, come on, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in our life to where we're not waiting for the next Sunday to hear a word, but God's actually speaking to you right where you're at and you're becoming a difference maker for the people around you. And it doesn't have to be all that spectacular, but oftentimes what you find is that Jesus leads you in to the spectacular. I'm over on time, but last little picture. It's this, and I shared it with my son before we picked this gentleman up. And this is what I shared with him. I said, son, I heard this from a pastor the other day. He taught his little girl how to make a fire. And so he put the kindling together. He put the sticks together. He says, okay, babe, when we light this, you're going to have to blow on it because for the fire to kind of to, to maximize, it needs, some, it needs some air. So they put it together, and she's like, Pfft. like she spits on it more than she blows. He even says she, there was more spit on the fire than there was air, but the thing goes in this massive flame takes off and she starts jumping around daddy look look what I did look what I did look what I did I made a fire look what I did I made a fire he goes what she didn't realize is that I was standing over her shoulder and when she was spitting on the fire what was I doing I was blown on the fire she's spitting on the fire I was blown on the fire and I thought you know when I picked up that guy the other day my attempts were but the Holy Spirit was when I when I just did something and, and paid seven seven dollars and forty cents to this young mom and a girl. Come on, from a global picture. What was the Holy Spirit doing? See, I want you to be encouraged today. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. 
come on, keep spitting on the fire. Keep, keep being willing to do even the, the crazy, what God's asking you to do. And watch how the Spirit of God, he, he breathes on that. And he does more than you can ever imagine by yourself. If you're here today, and we're going to go into this worship song, and you're not a Christian. You're here and you're curious. I want to tell you this. Consider today. Just consider today whether right now, over the next few seconds, the next few minutes, or even as you leave the parking lot and you drive, consider this. Consider that Jesus is for you. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your full story. Jesus knows your past, present, but he also, and this is the best part, he knows your future self. Like he said to Peter, you are this, but one day you'll be this. It just requires an open heart and open ears to hear, and I want to pray for you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.